Super Talk Mississippi media production. Coleman Taylor Transmission, servicing Central Mississippi for over 60 years. Their ASE certified technicians offer dependable transmission services, a warranty, and record services. Call Coleman Taylor today for all your transmission needs. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert rhino back in the element well studio at super talk headquarters but we've relocated part of it today to the country club of jackson that would be for the sanderson farms championship we'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday y'all <laughs> didn't know if you were there rhino you're already into Saturday, maybe. That's what's going on. No, I just keep forgetting Lance loves to turn down every single volume slider, including mine. <laughs> I got you. Well, we are perched atop uh, the CCJ. If you've ever been out here, folks, you know that uh, the building structures, the clubhouse, the pro shop, uh, the uh, workout facility, the tennis courts, the pool, etc., sit atop a hill, and then the golf course is set uh, behind that. Honestly, this course was built in a swamp, uh, but a lot of work went into uh, getting it to be a really fine championship golf course. It looks like it's just in fabulous shape despite the uh, the lack of rain, the drought conditions we have experienced here in central Mississippi. Of course, uh, the Country Club of Jackson produces its own water, has its own water supply. That's what the big tower is with a golf ball atop it that you see the familiar CCJ logo. And that's because it sits on a swamp, so they, it's pretty easy for them to draw water up. Uh, I, I will tell you this, folks. I can remember uh, when I was in college, the Great Flood of 79, the Great Flood of 79 that uh, inundated Northeast Jackson, Mississippi. The watermark, Rhino. I'm just I'm looking behind me here. Those of us, uh, those tuned in and watching us on video. If you look, uh, you'll see that, uh, like I said, we're sitting atop a hill, and then it's a pretty good drop off down to the course level. I'm going to guess 30, 40 feet, maybe. Uh, well, the water was all the way o- over the entire course, all the way up to the cart path, which is about halfway down that hill. We actually had for a long time, when I was a member here, a sign out on uh, a tree that is adjacent to a-, a restroom that sits between hole 3 and hole 16. And there was a sign indicating, marking the high water mark of the great 1979 flood. And I'm telling you, it's about 40 feet up in that tree. 
Somebody went out there in a boat and marked it. And it, I don't know if it's still there. Um, last time I played the course about five years ago, I don't recall seeing it. But nonetheless, they have done a fabulous job, uh, the crew out here, getting this course ready for the Sanderson Farms Championship. A little, uh, little precipitation move through at least central Mississippi last night, Rhino. Certainly uh, the streets are wet, the grounds are wet. But it looks like we just got a weather report from the PGA passed on to us. They, they got a fantastic team that tracks the weather, of course, for their events. Steve Gent, the executive director of Sanderson Farms Championship, will join us at 1035. He came by and told us that uh, he's checking the weather, of course, uh, to make sure that we're all good to go for play. said that it looks like the clouds are going to get out of here, the rain's out of here. It is overcast atop. top. Hadn't seen that in a while, honestly. A little overcast sky conditions, but uh, no rain at this point. The players are, are suited up, playing out on the course. Looks like the rain's out of here. I think the sun's going to break through, and then the wind is going to pick up, and it's going to be a delightful fallish-type day. Even better tomorrow, right, Rhino, with uh, highs in the area in the, what, low 70s? In oh, yeah. In the six, you said that yesterday, didn't you? Is really going to drop. The bottom going to drop from a temperature perspective overnight. And that's with a little uh, front moving through. Hadn't seen a cold front move through in a long time with the high pressure uh, dome of it sitting atop. But that's where we are. We are at the Sanderson Farms Championship, the beautiful country club of Jackson. Again, Steve Jett up at 1035. He runs his place. He's in charge of the Sanderson Farms Championship. Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party, joins us at 1105. We got one or two things to talk about from a political perspective. Philip Carpenter, president of Century Club Charities. A lot of folks don't realize just how much money the PGA raises for charities. And uh, they do that on a targeted basis in the cities where the, the tour uh host a tournament in in uh, in Jackson there are a number of targets in the central Mississippi Mississippi area of the proceeds raised by Century Club Charities Philip Carpenter president there and then we'll talk to Dr. Mary Taylor the chair of pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center I believe we'll learn that uh, some some amount of of those pre- proceeds raised by Century Club Charities are transferred to uh, the Children's Hospital, I believe, at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So we'll learn from Dr. Mary Taylor about that. Uh, A big day lined up. Uh, Big news, uh, I guess, across the nation this morning, certainly for those of us that that follow uh, economic uh, issues, is that payrolls increased by 336,000 in September. Analysts were looking for a consensus estimate of 170,000. Now, Here's the thing. It's a good news is bad news sort of deal. It's good that folks are finding work and working, and and it's just crazy to me that employers are still adding jobs. Also, average hourly earnings rose 0.2% for the month, 4.2% overall for the year. So based on current inflation readings, at least over the last year, folks' wages are keeping up. Uh, with inflation since joe biden has been in office they are not folks are upside down to the tune of about five percent relative to inflation uh, since he's been in office which uh, uh, i think by consensus estimates from economists uh, 
uh, analysis from economists is about 17%. So you're still upside down. Oil has trickled down to around 83 bucks a barrel. That's good news. That's down about 10 bucks from last week. And that is just because uh, reports show there's a decline in demand. I think folks are saying, I just can't pay that price anymore. And so that's that's all the way the, the market works. That's good news. But this, this situation with the jobs report, uh, this really does portend for additional interest rate, uh, rate hikes by the Fed, the Federal Reserve, the central bank of the United States, because they're looking, this is crazy, they're looking for uh, job destruction, if you will. They want to see unemployment tick up. They want to see jobs lost. Why? Because that means people don't have money to spend, and that has a tendency to cool inflation. The crazy thing is we got the federal government. We talked about this uh, this week. It just finished the fiscal year of 2023, ended September 30th, and the federal government registered a $2 trillion deficit. That's right, trillion with a T, T for Tom, $2 trillion deficit on spending of 6.3. So we're running a deficit that is roughly 30% of total outlays, 30%, 30%. It looks like Jim Jordan may be set to become the next Speaker of the House. Donald Trump has thrown his support behind. Representative Jordan from the great state of Ohio. We'll see how that uh, plays out. Steve Scalise also said he was available for the job. I think if I were a betting man, I'd say uh, Jim Jordan is the guy. And I heard him talking about, and this is something I want to clarify to the audience. I heard him talking about, you know, we gotta, we gotta rein in this, this, uh, reckless spending. I'm with him. I agree. Just keep this in mind, folks. Every time you hear a politician say that, they're only talking about, oh, 15% of the government, 15% of total spending. What do I mean by that? They're not talking about the 70%, which is mandatory. They're not talking about defense because Republicans do not support, uh, decreasing uh, money allocated, appropriated to defense. So that leaves you with the 15%, which is the whole rest of government. So when he, when they talk about, yeah, we got to, I heard him say last night, look, if we don't get something down, done, we've got to invoke this 1% rule. Okay, 1% of 15%. You can do the math. <laughs> That's not a lot, right? That's way less than 1%. Well, 1% in squat. We got a $2 trillion budget uh, deficit, which equals 30%. So uh, this is just, it's rhetoric that I think gets folks fired up. You hear they say, yeah, we're going to cut spending if they don't get these bills done because uh, this provision will kick in indicating that Congress didn't do their job and pass some appropriation bills. But it's peanuts. It's it's nothing. It's zero. It's just all symbolic. I want to see something big, something bold, something transformational, something meaningful, something substantial that truly will have an impact. I don't want to hear 1% of 15%. That isn't jack squat. That's a joke. I think, we, what'd you say yesterday, Rhino? The, uh, you, you're getting less Oreos or something? <laughs> yeah, oh instead of buying God. the name brand Oreos, you're buying the store brand Oreos when you can't afford the rent. Woohoo! <laughs> That's unbelievable. They got to be honest with the American people. We're stepping aside for a break right here. Once again, we're at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship. Steve Gent, the executive director of Sanderson Farms Championship, will join us at 10:35. Lucian Smith after the top of the hour at 11:05. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studio. We're coming right back.
Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays we are live in the element well studio at the country club of jackson for the sanderson farms championship we appreciate you joining us so i know in the last segment kind of went fast uh, through a bunch of numbers mainly uh referencing everything in terms of percentages but let's look at it in terms of dollars so jim jordan says hey if we don't get the the spending bills done it triggers this one percent cut to non-defense spending that amounts to uh, $850 million. Now, I ain't saying that's nothing, but $850 million in an $850 billion budget item is nothing. That's petty cash. You wouldn't even look for that. Uh, as crazy as it is, that's just because the numbers have gotten so ginormous. $850 million. So think about that. Uh, when you when you look at that in terms of of the uh, the total budget, it's even far less than than that. It's peanuts when you you're looking at uh, six point three trillion of spending. Six point three trillion, and and here's the other risk that we're facing. Another headwind that's not getting any attention. Nobody's talking about. That's corporate debt and treasury debt, public government debt. Why is that a headwind? Because I looked it up. The average interest rate currently being paid by the U.S. Treasury on the present outstanding debt is about 2.5%. Half of that debt is due to roll, be refinanced in the next 12 months. When it gets refinanced, it's not going to be refinanced at 2.5%. It's going to be financed at an average rate of nearly 5 Almost double. That means our interest tab is going to increase by 25 to 30%. So while you can cut the discretionary spending all day long, the interest on the debt more than exceeds the amount you cut. It's like plugging a dike. You're not really achieving anything. And nobody will talk about this. So the debt this year comes in at about $700 billion for fiscal year 23. It's, the numbers aren't final yet. But next year, we're looking at nearly a trillion dollars of debt interest. Debt interest. It'd be like if, if um, think about your personal situation. You're sitting on a mortgage, and uh, you got a mortgage in there to 2.5%. You did it when rates were, were very low. Now you're going to go move to a new house. The house costs the same, but now you got to take the mortgage out at 5%. Well, your payment's going up considerably. Same deal here. That's exactly what's about to happen. There's about $2.5 trillion of corporate debt that is also scheduled to roll over the next year. Why is that important? Because they're going to have to refinance that debt at much higher interest rates because interest rates are higher than, than they were when they initially took out that debt. That means less capital expense, less capital investment by corporations. In other words, they're going to buy less stuff from people who make it and sell it to corporations, like small and mid-sized businesses. 
These are the headwinds we're facing that, that the Congress just doesn't seem to discuss. But this is, this is real information. I researched this uh, overnight when I saw that uh, we were going to get the jobs report tomorrow because I, I felt like it was going to come in um, different, vary from what was, was forecast. But it, the, these are serious headwinds we're facing. Now, the defense bill... Uh, which is half of discretionary spending. Those talks continue, even though the speaker drama is playing out and uh, they sent them all home. The leaders are still talking about the defense bill. So let's take a look at how much we're spending on defense in the United States. The present bill that they are negotiating comes in at 800 and let me find the final number here. I think, I think it's $886 billion. $886 billion. Well, that's an increase over the prior year uh, by about 35 Yeah, 886.3. That's the number that they're working with right now. Last year was $850 billion. So we're talking about an increase. Where are all these, these fiscally responsible reps? In the year before, in, in uh, 2022, we had a continuing resolution between 22 and 23, so it, it came in at about 850. In 21, 820, 778, and 19, 734, 18, So it's just been steadily increasing. So between 18 and now, in five years, this defense spending is up $200 billion. That's 33%. 33% in five years. 33%. Donald Trump and the Republicans say, can't touch that. Got to have more. And and uh, when you get the, the military leaders on the Hill talking about their budget, presenting their plans, they come, of course they want more, 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 more. Got to have more toys. So when are Republicans going to get serious about addressing that part of our spending? Which is half up discretionary. So Jim Jordan says, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna trigger this one percent if these guys don't get up here and get some bills done. Big deal, eight hundred fifty million dollars in a six point three trillion dollar uh, deficit uh, budget. Pardon me, producing a two trillion dollar deficit. Bunch of numbers I know flying around, but the the main point is that until they start talking in terms of big numbers, they're not serious." Kevin McCarthy offered a bill that cut the non-defense discretionary component of spending by 30%. By 30%. It, it reduced that $850 billion last year, passed under a continuing resolution, actually an omnibus bill that uh, was uh, approved by the U.S. Senate. Remember that right before McCarthy and the new House was seated, even though McCarthy implored them, wait, wait till we can do this and and deliberate it. Wait till the new House is in place. Nope. The Senate said we're going to go forward with this deal. And unfortunately, even our Senator Roger Wicker supported that legislation, supported that one point seven trillion dollar bill. Uh, as did a number of other Republicans, I think about 17, all led by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. That included four or five, I think, who were terming out, who just wanted their earmarks, like Senator Richard Shelby over in Alabama. He wanted $600 million so he'd get a building named after him. Said he's going to go home, take care of errands for his wife. He didn't care. He's out of there. But, but until these folks start talking about these, these details, these nuances, these big numbers, they're not serious. They're simply not serious. And the Fed's wasting its time. It can keep raising interest rates 
in terms of monetary policy to try to uh, ratchet down um, consumer spending so as to bring down inflation to its target rate of 2%. But as long as the federal government keeps spending money, borrowing money, and pumping money into the economy, he's just spinning his wheels, man. He, can't, he You're not going to change anything as long as we got bad fiscal policy. So we got monetary policy contending with fiscal policy. And he won't weigh in. Every time he's asked, do you think the federal government ought to rein in spending and get more responsible and change fiscal policy? Oh, that's not really for me to decide. The hell it's not. Your job is to stabilize pricing. You can't do it with just that tool. You need to go have a talk with your boss. That being Joe Biden said, this is ridiculous, Joe. I saw where a few days ago we borrowed $200 billion. It's the biggest single-day borrowing in history. And once again, I point out, we can cut spending, and I'm all for it, all day long across across the entire scope of government. But the debt interest keeps clocking up. Until we balance the budget, we can't pay a dime on the debt. You gotta balance it. So we can say, no Ukraine funding, okay, 100 billion. We can cut this, we can cut that, okay, 100 billion here, 100 billion there. You still gotta find 2 trillion before we can even get to the debt. Before we can get to it. And every time you, even though you cut it on outlay, from an outlay perspective, you still got debt that we have to pay interest on. And right now, we got a hell of a deal. It's 2.5%. But this time next year, it's going to be about 5%. And the debt's going to come in on an annualized basis, the debt interest, the debt interest of about a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars just to interest, a trillion. That's almost as big as Social Security on debt interest. It's bigger than defense on debt interest. It's bigger than the entire rest of government on debt interest. And you can't begin to bring that down without eliminating the deficits. And you can't do that unless you cut $2 trillion of spending. They're not serious. 1%. Give me a break. Get serious. Share these numbers with people. Don't just, don't just spout the rhetoric and the platitudes to make you look good. Give us the numbers. Talk about what you're going to do to balance the budget. That means eliminating... $2 trillion of excess spending. Now, the Democrats have a plan. Higher taxes. Yeah, this is a problem. The Trump tax cuts. Let's just increase taxes. That'll fix it. Let's go grab $2 trillion out of the economy. Just take it out of people's pockets and throw it into the government. The most inefficient steward of money on the planet, the U.S. federal government. We're stepping aside for a break right here in the Element Well studio. We're at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship. Up next, Steve Gent, Executive Director of Sanderson Farms Championship. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Welcome back. 
back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. We're live today at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship. We're pleased to welcome now Mr. Steve Agent, the Executive Director of the Sanderson Farms Championship. Steve, good to see you, sir. Good to see you, too. Looks like the uh, the weather is going to cooperate nicely. A little showers move through, a little cloudy and cooler today, but the course looks beautiful and the players are out there. I think we're in good shape. Yeah, we had a little more than maybe what we thought early this morning, but it wasn't enough to delay play. Yeah. Um, the sun's going to pop out here probably in about an hour. Yeah. Um, I think it's still going to be 84 today, but I guess as the front comes through, it's going to gradually tail off 50s in the morning. A little cooler. It's going to be, yeah, it's yeah. nice. Players yeah. like that, though. Yeah, I think it. Um, they'll look forward to it. I mean, some of them may need to pop into, you know, a local store and pick up a little outerwear maybe that they weren't <laughs> expected. But, um, yeah, they like it. I, I think it's, you know, that crisp air and getting going and yeah i mean they'd rather play in that than you know windy unpredictable conditions. no doubt so, you know, it'll, no doubt. it'll be good out here yeah so uh did the rain impact uh the surfaces any steve are we looking at uh lift cleaning place embedded balls any of that kind no of stuff? not really i mean stanley reading everybody's done a phenomenal job yeah but with, with the fairways especially over the last few years the greens have always been good um it's it's really good if the wind this afternoon should really help and um uh, you know, the guys coming off the golf course yesterday were saying, man, these things are fast. Yeah. So, so yeah, I've heard. I, I don't think it changed it that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So, yesterday, uh, let's see, we had uh, Hadley, right? Uh, yeah. Played bogey free, eight under. Chesson at eight. Chesson yeah. Hadley, right? Uh, 64. And uh, was the leader going into today. But just looking at the leaderboard, uh, Eric Van Ruyen is presently 10 under. That's uh, through 11. He's five under on the day through 11. That's a bunch of birdies in 11 holes. Yeah, <laughs> and no bogeys. Right. Um, it's like every other hole is a birdie. And, uh, you know, playing, you know, obviously playing really well. Harrison, yeah. Harrison and Endicott next. And some Luke great names up there. You know, the guys that played well yesterday afternoon or yesterday morning haven't gone off yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's looking to be a really, really good yeah. board for the weekend. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. So you said the players uh, were, were remarking on uh, the greens and the yeah. speed of the greens, the quality of the greens. Anything else they're telling you about the event? I mean, they love the hospitality. They love. Uh, they just love being here. I mean, for this is a for the, a lot of them. Jackson's a simple stop. Right? Yeah. We have great hotels. We've got great restaurants. Yep. The proximity to everything is really good. Um, the setup that we have here is really you know caddies get a permanent structure right here. Overlook, you know, everything is here. Practice range is pretty, pretty great. The food is really, CCJ does a great job with food for them, and they just think it's one of their favorite stops of the year. You know, and definitely in the fall, but maybe the entire year. So, yeah, yeah, they love it. And it, and it's a big venue, you know, Steve. Sometimes on the on these PGA events, uh, some of these smaller private clubs, it, it can be a little crowded. But we got a big spread out area. Here. We've got a lot of square footage here to use, and if, as a charity, that's really important, right? Yeah. Because if I can, you know, if I don't have to build. A caddy lounge, and I can utilize this. Yeah, and um, and and the other thing, you know, Jason Printergrass takes his fixtures out of here, which is his pro shop. The rest of the year, we can use those in the merchandise tent. Um, so we, you know, we utilize every every square inch. The, the fact that there's this other, the extra Cypress Nine allows us to do a couple things. It allows us to do a really good kids clinic on Monday with um, with the first tee. Allows us to do a junior pro am out here, and you know, not tie up space on the big course. Because um, with with us in the fall with daylight, I just don't have yeah. you know Tuesday. The guys that aren't in the pro am really need Tuesday for the play a full eighteen. 
Um, so to be able to have all this to access is really good. And for the folks listening, if you haven't uh, or you're not familiar with the Country Club of Jackson, there are three nines uh, at, at the course. So that's what you're talking about yeah. with the uh, with the Cypress nine. So something, Steve, that we need to make sure that folks are aware of, which is that the PGA does incredible work for charities. Right. And, and here in, in uh, associated with this event, Century Club Charities. Been around a long time. Philip Carpenter, the, the current president of Century Club uh, Charities, he's coming on the program later but you guys raise a lot of money for really good causes we do and that's that really drives everything for us right i mean a lot of tournaments bring in big concerts and do a lot of things and we, we do a little bit of that last sure. time sponsor party was yeah. really good it, yeah. was, it was packed i saw a lot of people there <laughs> um yeah it's it, the focus number one when i look at my p and in the year is how can we generate more money than the year before or at least try to match it last year for charity and yeah you know, primary charity is Children's Mississippi Health Hospital, um, but we're giving four hundred thousand dollars out to about Incredible. fifty plus other Mississippi charities, like you know, Stew Pot and um, First Tea and Mustard Seed and yeah. Canopy, just oh, really solid. You know, Mississippi's toughest kids and Magnolia Speechville, just solid charities that, you know, they may not be getting $1.1 million, but $15,000, $10,000, $5,000, a lot of these charities is, is a big number. Absolutely. And, and and the players are aware of this, and, and they, they participate in that and promote that as well. Yeah. Yeah, they we're going to do University Spirit Day tomorrow. So we've told the players ahead of time and the guys ahead of time, you know, support your college team. <laughs> uh, we tell spe- spectators to come out and wear their, their favorite college apparel. And then Sunday we do a play yellow for kids. Okay. Which is yellow is the the play yellow that Jack and Barbara Nicholas. Um, right. children, children's of Mississippi is a Children's Miracle Network hospital, part of that network. And Jack and Barbara are fond of that. And, um so you know, his deal was the yellow shirt on Sunday. So on Sunday we'll do yellow, play yellow. So we encourage the players to wear some kind of yellow apparel. Our our T announcers have on yellow ties, and we've got yellow ribbons for fans. And it, it's uh, yeah. The, so the players know the T markers are painted chickens from kids in the hospital. Yeah. Um, they know how important charity is here. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, Steve, working with the Country Club of Jack of Jackson, and of course to put on an event like this, the PGA uh, tournament. You got to work with everybody. You, I mean, that <laughs> is affiliated with the country club, yeah. club, club management, uh, membership officers, of course, uh, Stanley and his great crew that take care of the golf course, uh, the club pros and, and assistants and so forth. It's a big team effort. It is, and they're great. All right, I mean Patrick Joyce's whole team from food and beverage to the golf side. To, I mean Steve Boyd is the fitness instructor. He lets me take over his office in the <laughs> fitness center um, for for a week, and they're very supportive. And they utilize a lot of their staff in different areas. Like again, Steve giving me my office, but yeah. he he and Nick, the tennis pro, were my two locker room attendants okay. right, along with Frank. So um, yeah, it's big team effort. Everybody's got to be all in. Uh, you know, because it's it's one week of the year, but it's fifty one weeks that everybody's got to plan and, and account for. Um, but you know, we we bring in a, a other vendors too, from concessions to uh, you know shuttle buses to security. It's just what we spend in the local market to supplement what we what we can't you know what the club just can't do. Sure. Um, it's still a big number. It's well, that's a good point. It's, it's a lot of planning. Yeah. And then, of course, we, we should mention that a fantastic, uh, uh, fairly large group of volunteers that help out as well. Awesome volunteers. In fact, I met a gentleman yesterday for the first time who comes from Quebec, Canada, every year just to volunteer at our event. And um, you can't, you know, we've got a great volunteer for It's over 1,000. Unbelievable. Um, 
hopefully uh, they think I'm you know feeding them really well this week. <laughs> uh, we we kind of up, upgraded that a little bit last year, and uh, yeah, I mean Marshall Shotlink operators, shuttle drivers. We've just got some great people out here. I mean, they're taking their vacation time. They're taking time off. You know, for those that aren't retired, that can't do this. And we we also have the support of a lot of companies out here. Well, that's what I was so, going to say. Let's, yeah. let's talk about uh, the sponsor support yeah. of Sanderson and, Farms, and, and top the list, of course. It, yeah, and it, there's, so it starts with, you know, you've got sponsors that also take responsibility for whole. They're like, hey, we're going to give you 50 people yeah. every day, right? But, yeah, it starts at the top with Wayne Sanderson Farms, yep. a great, great company. Um, we've got five kind of what we call tournament partners and to spend in excess of in the six-figure range you know bank plus trustmark international paper southern farm bureau life and then lyle machinery is our newest one let's say okay dan yeah. lyle and his group came in and we're our monday program sponsor yeah but then you've got a lot of other sponsors right skybox sponsors signage sponsors program teams i mean it you know we'll raise hopefully about another five million dollars or close to it um and we, we you just can't do it without them right you know, Steve, it's it's something that um, you don't think about a lot, but just listening to you uh, go through the list, we've talked about all, all the parties, all the participants, if you will. A PGA Tour event is one of the few sporting events that truly does touch such a broad spectrum of, of parties, individuals, uh, companies, uh, charities, the course, and uh, just an unbelievable impact. Yeah, and I've not spent a whole – I've never worked for the NFL or the NBA or whatever, but um – yeah, it's it. I, it may be a, more of a community effort than any other sport, yeah. right? Because yeah. you know the Saints don't have a thousand people sign up and pay sixty five dollars <laughs> for a hat and a shirt, and then you know work the chain game. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we do, right? I and mean, we've got we've got people that come out here and run the scoring systems for the PGA Tour, and uh, and are actually paying to be here, not paid to be here, yeah. right? So yeah, that's right. Um, but then when you talk about the support of you know. What other sport can you pay for you and two other of your best customers to go play their sport for 18 holes? The day they're on the same, you know, it's like signing up to play five on five with LeBron. You know, That's the morning before a game. I don't know whatever sport does it like we do. <laughs> I totally agree. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, I did it for years with my customers, yeah. so um, it's pretty powerful. It's pretty cool. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Steve, uh, appreciate you coming yeah. on, and congratulations on, uh, once again, what uh, is in store for us, another great Sanderson Farms championship. And we still got a few day, couple days to go. Don't jinx me, but it's, <laughs> it's going to be a great year. Everybody come out. Appreciate it, Steve. Thanks, right. man. Thank you. Yep, We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. We're at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Mississippi. 
We're coming at you live from the Element Well Studio. Yes, I did. I do have a I put the wrong headset on. We got three that are scattered about on this table about three feet apart. So I uh, picked up the wrong one. No wonder. I kept looking. So now they're all laughing at me. (laughs) uh, We're back with you with the right headset on now. Oh, gosh. Had the right control up. Maybe I need to put the label on the... On the headset itself, we got the controls labeled on the pots here. Uh, folks, you ought to go log in and take a look at the video feed uh, streaming for today's show because the view is really spectacular. We are perched up here just uh, outside on the porch behind the pro shop here at the Country Club of, of Jackson. And, of course, we're, we're high atop the golf course and the practice facility is really a cool view. Take a look at it. Um, on the ceasefire text line, Ben from Madison says, Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise, do you think that is an improvement over McCarthy in your book? It's a good question, Ben, and I, I, I guess my take on that is I, I want to see focus on the issues. I, I think we're too wrapped up in people and who sits in that position, and I think we also lose sight of the fact, those of us on the right, that we don't have control. We uh, we have control of one half of one third. That we don't have control of the Senate. We don't have control of the White House. And it takes all three to pass legislation. So um, uh, earlier I spoke about McCarthy offering a uh, a bill, although it was a continuing resolution, and that was objectionable to the eight uh, who who joined with Democrats to oust the Speaker uh, and take the gavel away from him. He did offer a bill that would have cut non-defense spending by non-defense discretionary spending by some uh, $250 billion. That's 30%. And it was through a CR, so these eight still said, no, we want regular order. I'm with them. I want regular order, too. However, just keep this in mind. That bill, because it cut 30%, of non-defense discretionary spending, Senator Schumer, who controls legislation in the Senate, he's the majority leader, he said it's dead on arrival. It's got no chance. So to your, the answer to your question has been, what is their plan? I want to see a plan. I don't care if it's Jim Jordan. I don't care if it's Steve Scalise. All I heard Jim Jordan said, like I said earlier, was, hey, look, we don't get these 12 spending bills passed. One percent decrease, eight hundred fifty million, big whoop. That ain't squat, and that's eight hundred fifty million until they get it passed, which means it's even less than that. I want to see something big and bold that truly does address the big core issues. And Republicans, including Donald Trump, says we cannot touch Social Security, and Medicare, can't do a thing about that. Okay, well then we're going to continue to produce whopping deficits. 
I'm not advocating for cutting anybody's Social Security or Medicare benefits. I'm simply pointing out that it can't go on like it is. You're not ever, ever, ever going to balance the budget and get to the debt and start bringing it down until you take action on those programs. It's not mathematically possible. Cut every penny. If right now we have this continuing resolution to fund the government for 45 days, let's say at the end of 45 days we don't appropriate a penny, zero, we still will produce a $500 billion deficit next year. $500 billion. That's the math. That's how messed up things are. I want to see somebody make that point and talk about that. Now, I did, there are lots of ideas on Social Security and Medicare, and those include, from the Democrats, they've got an idea. Hey, raise taxes. But, but they don't want to raise Social Security and Medicare taxes on everybody, just those dirty, evil, greedy, dastardly, rich people. they got to pay it all. And by the way, they're... Other part of their plan is when they get ready to draw Social Security benefits, too bad you make too much money. Even though you paid for everybody else's retirement, you don't get any. They consider that fair. That's just how messed up all this stuff is. But we're stepping aside for a break right here at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms a Championship. We're coming back after Fox News and Super Talk News with Lucian Smith. We'll break this down even further. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's midday super talk mississippi we're coming at you live from the sanderson farms championship at the beautiful country club of jackson on this friday y'all hour two hour two of friday y'all we are uh sitting atop uh the club of the course itself uh set up on the porch of the veranda here just behind the pro shop here at the country club of jackson we welcome to the program now lucian smith former chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. Lucian, good to see you. Hey, good to be with you, Gerard. This you look like you Oh, yeah, this is about <laughs> as close as I'm ever going to get to being invited on a sports show, is <laughs> being here with this in the background. So this is great. It is awesome. Uh, the uh, The course looks great. We just had Steve Gent on, and uh, everything is good to go. It looks like the leaderboard is setting up for hopefully what will be a very interesting couple of days of golf here. Of course, uh, day one in the books, uh, three days of golf left, day two under underway right now the uh, clouds are scheduled to clear out sun's going to shine it's going to get a little cooler but comfortable i think it's going to be a good deal i think so too and it's a great event um it's such a great thing that we've got in central mississippi uh and i'd encourage people that you really ought to come out you know whether if you like golf obviously there's nothing better than coming out and being able to watch in person 
um, some of the best golfers in the world. But even if you just like being outside, they do a great job. Steve and his team have done a great job of putting together an event that's very family friendly. You know, there's a there's a great little restaurant where they've got. Uh, uh, cornhole and other games for kids. They've got a, a little putting green out here, and, and it really is a fun space. And one of the things that I think is so neat about this kind of golf tournament, you know, if you buy a football ticket, if you buy the the sort of cheapest tickets you can get, you're going to be up in the nosebleed section, barely able to see the game. Yesterday, I could have reached out and touched some of these PGA wow. golfers you were wow. so close to. Now, if you come, don't reach out and touch them. They'll escort you out. But still, <laughs> you're you're right there watching these guys drive and make their approach shot and putt. And it's a, it's just a fun thing to come out for. Uh, this just in, these guys are pretty good hitting a golf ball around, aren't they? <laughs> no doubt about it. No no doubt about it. It's and it's fun. It's really fun to watch them because they're just uh, they're. I mean, you don't you don't become a professional golfer by being a bad golfer. These guys are incredible. It can be a little little humbling for those of us who have been playing the game for a long time. I, I sat on nine yesterday and watched a bunch of these guys come up to the ninth green, and there were multiple times where I thought, okay, I've had that shot before, and then they would <laughs> knock it directly up four feet from the hole, and I'd go, well, that that's generally not what my second shot looks like, and the only reason we. Were, I would have been hitting from the same places because they're a hundred yards behind where I normally hit from. So that, those two things together made that possible. It's unbelievable. So um, I know you weren't around here uh, in those days, but 1979, uh, I was in college, and and I remember the great flood of '79, of course, that uh, uh, engulfed the city of Jackson, in particular uh, Northeast Jackson, abutting uh, uh, the Pearl. And a lot of folks don't know we're right on the backwater here of the Absolutely. Pearl, the course of Butts. And is adjacent to it. You can see it on what is it, fifteen? I think it's off uh, off to your left. That's and, right. And it's um, uh, it's beautiful, honestly. It is. It's uh, just incredible. Uh, all the old cypress and, and uh, woods around the area. But I mean, it's the swamp area of the Pearl. But when the Pearl overflowed, that water got pretty high. I remember, we used to have a high water mark sign on the tree next to the restroom facility that sits between three. And uh, 15. Mm-hmm. And that sign was about 40 feet up. Oh, yeah. No, the, the water came up. And I, as I appreciate it, and somebody will probably text in and, and with the real story, but my understanding is when they moved the country club here, the initial idea was that it would be both a yacht and golf club. Oh, I didn't know that. Because of proximity to the water. And I don't know what exactly happened oh, that caused that not to happen. 1963, I believe. I think that's Isn't right. Isn't that the right? And, and it used to be where the Shady Oaks uh, clubs. The original country club of Jackson. I knew it had come over. I didn't realize where Shady it was. Oaks on Clinton Boulevard there. Yeah, yeah sure was. And, and the, back in those days, they used to actually produce um, like a directory, a photo directory of the members and their families. Interesting. And uh, one of my close friends, um, his father was a member of it in those days. He lives right across the street here, by the way. Um, and he actually showed me some of those one day from the 60s. And it was just fascinating to look at. Uh, you wouldn't do that today. Everybody comes to the club, lines up, and gets a photo taken. Huh. We used to do that at my church years ago. And that oh, way yeah. you'd have a reference, you know, for everybody. Well, it's but, helpful. I'm embarrassed to admit this, but, but hopefully somebody whose name I can't remember is hearing. <laughs> I'm terrible with names, but great with faces. And so there's this curse where you'll see somebody and you'll go, I know you. I've, we've spoken before. I know what you do for a living, but I cannot remember your name. And I tell you what, I would love to have a book where I could go back and go, that was Gerard right. Gibbard. I you totally know? agree. All right, so I, along those lines, i got to ask you this question, you being uh, uh, pretty involved in the political realm. 
when you're running for office, you just encounter gazillions of people, oh, yeah. and you want to, and you're shaking hands, and you want so desperately to recall names so that you can address them Absolutely. by their names. Some people are better at that than others. My father was unbelievable at that, but he was uh, he was a salesperson, and he, he made it his business to always remember names. So... How do they remember? Some are really, really good at that. Some aren't. Some I always aren't. wonder. They got a little speaker in their ear. Somebody <laughs> says, "Hey, that's so and so." You know, some aide is telling them that. So, so the my understanding, you know, Bill Clinton, for all of his faults politically and personally, was just a or is, as I appreciate, a total master of that. And yeah. my understanding is that what Clinton did is anytime he met you. He would immediately use your name in conversation okay. the whole time. It okay. was Gerard. It's nice to meet you, okay. Gerard. What are you doing here? And he'd insert the name a bunch, and that had two effects. One psychologically, all of us have an ego, even if we don't like to admit it. And somebody saying our name no makes doubt. us happy. But two, by saying Gerard or Lucian or Joe ten times over the course of the conversation, more often than not, by the end, he had formed this sort of uh, mental connection between your face and that name. So next time he saw you, there was a pretty good chance he could go, Gerard, it's good yeah. to see you again. And yeah. that, you're right. That is so – I mean, I've seen the politicians who come up to somebody they hadn't seen in a while, who they met once, and they use their name, and that, and it just has a huge effect. And I, I remember distinctly watching a politician walk up to somebody and introduce themselves, and the guy said, we've met ten times. <laughs> And it was, it was a little bit of a rude response. I assume he wasn't a supporter of that candidate, but you know, it was. You just, they, those guys do have to be very that's, careful that's when they meet people. That's interesting uh, about Clinton because it was Dale Carnegie. A couple of things. I took Carnegie management training forty years ago. Dale Carnegie said the sweetest sound to a person's ears is their name. Yeah. Hearing their name. Um, my father, with his fifth grade education, what he taught me, and I, I'll have to admit I'm not good at it as he was, is that when you shake hands and you, um, you know, introduce introduce yourself and you exchange names with someone uh, first introductions he said um, you say their name and then right before you let go you pull a little closer and said it was Lucian right that's and so you like say it three times in that initial introduction, and my father at least attempted to pass that on to me. <laughs> well, it's actually a pretty good idea. It is. It is a great idea, and those are two very similar skill sets. Exactly. I mean, it is your. It's sales. It's just instead of selling no a product or a service, you are selling you as the candidate no to the people who are deciding who's going to be governor, attorney general, dog catcher, whatever it is. No so. doubt. So in, in marketing, and I'm looking at Alex Payton, our our content director here. You're taught over and over again to use the word you. Right. You, 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 right? So, like, I'm speaking directly to you, and you see that a lot uh, in campaigns, campaign material. Absolutely. Uh, you get the fundraisers when you open up those emails, and it's always, hey, Gerard, you know that we're you, this, and that. <laughs> but, all right, so we got a lot of stuff going on out in the uh, in the country and in the state. That's the truth. From a political perspective, let's talk about the state first. We got a, a critical governor's race coming up here in, uh, well, we're just a little over a month. That's right, right. Month just over day. 30 days. We're, we're almost there. We're there. And I'm, I'm seeing, uh, I've seen polls that indicate that the governor has a fairly comfortable lead at about eight points. I don't think that's any surprise. I think that sort of overlays kind of the, the political complexion uh, of the state. I think that's right. Uh, but uh, Brandon Presley seems to be well-funded. He's active. He's out and about. Uh, but what I see mostly out of Mr. Presley is not so much a uh, uh, focus on, on policy. And here's what I'm going to do a little bit. I've mainly seen I'm going to expand Medicaid. I'm going to cut the grocery tax. That's the main thing I've seen. But uh, he seems to focus more 
on just condemning the governor and trying to really connect the governor to just anything that even remotely looks corrupt it's Tate Reeves in the middle of that well that the Democrats don't want to have a race about policy if a race is about what kind of policy you want to see the Republicans are going to win I think that's true generally but it's especially true in Mississippi if the race is about personality or it's about narrative that is always good from the Democrats so okay. you're going to continue to see Presley talk about his childhood, his family, and the more Tate Reeves talks about policy, do you want to have lower taxes, do you want to have control uh, of where your kids go to school, or do you want to have your kids indoctrinated by a public school system that tells them they can be whatever gender or they can turn into a cat or whatever happens to be the crazy left-wing thing of the moment, uh, if that's the way it is framed up, Tate Reeves wins. Well, when you look at the latest, uh, we got a break coming up, but when you look at the latest campaign uh, fundraising event that uh, Brandon Presley's got scheduled, it's kind of a who's who of left-wing weirdos in my view that are on that list. So, yes. uh, and the folks that certainly don't align with the conservative viewpoint of how the state ought to be run. We've got Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. Uh, we're in the Element Well studio at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays that's a little vintage beatles the fab four ticket to ride appreciate that rhino good stuff so uh we were talking about the the upcoming governor's race and i may have been a, a little harsh <laughs> describe those who are um scheduled to be in attendance at a big fundraiser that the um, challenger, Brandon Presley, the Democrat, is having. But the fact is, Lucian, and get your take on this, it's hard for a candidate for governor to detach themselves from the national party. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons Democrats have struggled in Mississippi in the last 20 years, because the Democratic Party has gone so far to the left. I mean, if you look at uh, Bill Clinton's platform from 92 or 96, he'd be a Republican now. He'd yeah. probably be criticized as some sort of alt-right extremist because of some of the views that he held uh, 30 years ago. And, yeah, at the end of the day, we have two coalition parties in this country. I mean, it, realistically, at, at any sort of large race, you're going to get elected exclusively if you're a member of the Democratic or Republican Party. And, you know, we converted a lot. Uh, when I was chairman, converted a lot of local elected officials from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party um, by campaigning in their districts and yeah. pointing out, you know, that they had chosen 
to be a, associated with AOC, with Nancy Pelosi, with Chuck Schumer, with Hillary Clinton, and the, the extremist leftist policies of the Democratic Party. Um, and so I think you're going to continue to see that in this race between now and November. And I, I, Commissioner Presley obviously is trying to position himself uh, as a centrist, but I think what you'll hear over and over and over again is that he is a member of a party that believes this, that believes that, uh, and that that's going to weigh him down because most of the policies that the Democratic Party uh, espouses are, are contrary to what overwhelming, I'm not talking about 50% plus one, I mean 60, 70, 80% of Mississippians would reject a lot of the, the doctrine coming out of the Democratic Party because it really has become a party now that caters almost exclusively to coastal elites. They get yeah. votes in the middle part of the country, but you're starting to see it. And a great example is this stuff going on with the, the auto workers striking yeah. because Democratic policies, which have aggressively promoted uh, electric vehicles, which is very popular with people in San Francisco and Manhattan, are directly hurting workers uh, in the American heartland that make vehicles that don't currently uh, hew to what's popular on the on the coast. And right. So there's a real. I think they've got a very difficult uh, position in the Democratic Party because they've got these coastal elites that run the party, but their views are just not what most Americans, certainly not what most Mississippians, want to see. You know, that's a good point. Uh, I may be a little old-fashioned in this respect, and maybe it's just the the bare-knuckled capitalist in me. I don't think it's appropriate for a president or government in general to take a side in what is a a conflict between an employer and employees. I I just don't get it. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I I mean, especially for the president of the United States. Yeah. Go stand in the picket line. The head of state for this country. Um, But, you know, so much of the Democratic Party, and maybe you can criticize politics generally, but so much of the Democratic Party and certainly so much of Joe Biden is just cheap old theatrics. Yeah. You know, he's a he's a labor guy, and it, it, it's sort of like I'm going to come work on the picket. I'm going to come stand on the picket <laughs> line and show what a good union person I am. Now that said, I'm going to aggressively push an agenda. <laughs> popular in other parts of the country that are going to put you people out of work, but I'm going to come up and show a sign, and we're going to say, look at Joe Biden, he's a roll-up-the-sleeves labor man, um, and try to cover up what the real policy is. But it goes, but that goes back to what we were talking about before. The Democrats love narratives, and they're so much, look, they're better at narratives they're, than Republicans they are. are. I agree. They, they, they tell wonderful stories, and if it's all about, you know, look at Joe Biden, uh, look at Brandon Presley, look at the hardships they've gone through, look at what their house looks like look at their this that and the other that goes that benefit but if we come back to making the main thing the main thing and talking about how is your life how do the politics or how do the policies of this administration affect your life then republicans are going to win because republican policies help people prosper yeah and and the narrative that they try to promote the democrats is the republicans only want to help rich people and they want to hurt everybody else and nothing can be further from the truth it, right. it's actually the polar opposite it's Absolutely. the democrat policies that are having a bigger impact negative impact on the average middle class working class american that's right than anything in fact the rich people are benefiting from those policies so that's what's crazy is when they start blasting look at all the money that uh Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and others made in the last two or three years. Well, that's because of your policies. You shut the economy down. 100% right. You handed that wealth to them, essentially. Well, and that alliance now much more is. I mean, the the people we're talking about who who support these crazy left-wing ideologies, like the idea that there are multiple genders and you can switch between them at will, uh, 
that is a crowd. I mean, that those aren't working folks in right. San Francisco. Right. Those are people who are driving out of multi-million dollar mansions in their chauffeured vehicle to go somewhere. I mean, so there is a coalition between certain parties and, and uh, ultra-wealthy folks, but it's overwhelmingly uh, a coalition between Democrats and the ultra-wealthy groups on the coast. No doubt about it. So I don't, I don't know if you saw this. It uh, just happened yesterday, I believe, but the prime minister of the U.K., is actually uh, speaking out against this whole gender ideology movement. And uh, and he said in a public forum, hey, uh, the country shouldn't be bullied into thinking there are more than two genders. There are only two genders. And so we got, you know, essentially the head of state in a a major Western nation coming out and saying there's only women and men. He he says, and we shouldn't get bullied into into believing that people could be any sex that they want. They can't. Man is a man and a woman is a woman. That's just common sense. I think that's exactly right, but it's amazing how much the culture has shifted that that's a controversial statement. I, I mean, if, if 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, somebody had come on Super Talk and said, look, Gerard, I'm here to remind people that there are only two genders, that men are men and women are women, I think you would sit here in silence going, what's this guy talking about? Yeah. I mean, this is such a weird thing for somebody to come on and say, but now the culture shifted where if you choose to believe simple biological truth, you're yep. some sort of extremist, hateful person. And, and I do think that those of us who believe in that truth have an obligation to believe in the truth, have an obligation to, to speak up and make that point because there is such an immense push uh, in the culture and there's so much punishment for people who are willing to say that. Now, that's not to say every little boy has to play with trucks yeah. and, yeah. and want to play football uh, and hunt and fish. I mean, you know, there's room for people to do different things, to be individuals, but the fact of the matter is there is a simple biological truth that Rishi Sunak uh, yep. pointed out, men yep. are men and women are women, and that's the end of it. Yeah, no doubt about it. So we're, we're starting to see uh, these sorts of squabbles across the country. We're starting to see victories. Uh, I can't remember what state it is, but I saw that a court um, has, has ordered that uh, a school district cannot continue its policy of of uh, refusing to inform parents when a child in a school starts to express express the desire to, say, use the bathroom that doesn't correspond with their biological gender or they want a new set of pronouns. And uh, the school district had implemented policy that says, hey, teachers, you can protect and and essentially provide sanctuary to children in the schools and not inform their parents of of these movements and, and these activities on the part of the child, and this court came down and said, no, nah, the children actually belong <laughs> strikingly to the parents, and they need to know this kind of stuff. And that's terrifying. I know. I mean, and again, the fact that that's even controversial speaks to what a, what a dangerous ideological movement this is. I mean, if a child shows up and says, I, I believe that I'm a member of the opposite gender, I want to start using, I'm a biological male, but I want to start using female pronouns, I want to change my name, I'm going to use the girl's bathroom, and it's controversial that the parents should should be informed about that bizarre it's absolutely bizarre uh and and i think the fact that this argue this ideology can't hold up on its own is evidenced by things like that if this is something that has a scientific basis that is you can rationally defend then parents ought to be aware of it then people ought to be able to have a conversation about it but that's not what they do i mean they they try to uh 
crush anybody who opposes their ideology uh, professionally, personally. Uh, it, it is a, it really is sort of a vicious ideology, and you're seeing in other countries that don't have First Amendment protections. I mean, my understanding is there is a father in Canada, and I don't know if he's the only one or if there are multiple people like that who is literally in Canadian jail for misgendering his child. I mean, right. that's, that's terrifying <laughs> stuff, and people, you know, the... Um, the left does such a good job of saying, look, there's nothing to see here. These are isolated cases. This isn't a big deal until they've shifted the culture enough that they're able to turn to you and go, well, you're a bigot because you don't believe this truth that we all accept. It's totally nuts. It's Wisconsin. Wisconsin. A Wisconsin court ruled that that uh, protecting that information and concealing it from parents when a child is so-called gender dysphoric, that uh, that violates parental rights. It's insane. Thank God. I'm glad to see that. It's insane. We don't, got, let, we don't let these kids drink. We don't let these oh, kids vote. Crazy. You wouldn't let these kids buy a pack of cigarettes, but they're able to make these life-altering Bizarro will, world. We're coming right back with Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi uh, Republican Party. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. You're tuned in to Middays, and we are at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship. Once again, if you get a chance, tune into our video. I think you'll uh, enjoy the site, uh, the view. It's great up here, uh, Lucian. We're on the veranda right behind the, the uh, pro shop and the background with the course and the tents, the suites, and so forth uh, set up. It's, it's really a beautiful view. It's really if, neat. If you here. needed another good reason to watch uh, Super Talk, this is one. <laughs> In addition to the great discussion and commentary, you can get a view of the tournament, and it really is. The weather's great. It's not too hot. Uh, the, the cloud cover's keeping it from getting warmer. And every now and again, we'll get sort of a burst of cool air wind, coming yeah. through. It's almost uh, not quite fall, but we're, head, we're heading in that direction. Yeah. It's absolutely worth coming out. It's a great spot. Totally agree. Uh, something else is that Brandon Presley, talking about the governor's race, has uh, been been putting out uh, communications where he's blasting the governor for failing to agree to debates, but the governor has agreed to a debate yeah, on November I, the 1st. As I appreciate it, he's got one coming up. November the 1st. So... Uh, you know, look, that, I think that's just part of the, the political playbook, right? When you when you challenge your challenger to, your opponent to a debate, and the, and the uh, opponent does not accept that, uh, it's pretty common. You know, they're scared. They don't want to debate. Right. But, you know, the, the playbook also says, Lucian, you got a, a lot of experience with this. But when you're leading significantly, you typically don't debate. Yeah, I mean, I think the governor had to uh, agree to a debate uh, because I think people have an expectation now in a governor's race, in a presidential race, you, you just are, or I think people just expect that those candidates are going to debate. So I think the governor had to agree to do at least one. That said, it's not his job to create free media for his opponent. That's so true. It's not Tate Reeves' job to do five, ten debates to try to uh, help his opponent 
be on the be on the news as much as possible. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's a lot of times you see it in primaries in particular and, and in down ticket races where people say, "I'm just not debating that person at all because I'm beating them by 20 points, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna help, help them, them increase their name ID." Yeah, so, because even if you don't like them, you get their name ID, and and what may happen is you know you may attract some person that I don't really pay attention to politics. I'm not even going to vote, waste my time. They hear something that says, "Okay, well, I'm gonna go vote. And I'm gonna go vote for that person." That's right. That's exactly right. So I, I imagine we'll end up with a debate, but I also understand um, Commissioner Presley's doing this sort of uh, going around the state with an empty chair. And, and <laughs> Saw that, too. It's, you know, which is, again, good political theatrics. But I think at the end of the day, like I said, if this race is about policy, Tate Reeves is going to win. Yeah, I agree. And and by the way, folks, this, this empty chair play by Commissioner Presley uh, symbolizes Tate uh, not debating, uh, being an empty chair on a debate stage. So, and okay, as, great. As with most political theatrics, <laughs> you, it's happened before. This this has been used in other places where uh, somebody truly didn't agree to a debate, and they've gone around and had the empty chair and, and popped it up everywhere. So it's there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Something that has caught my attention, <clears throat> Lucian, is uh, among the Republican candidates for president, none support... Uh, a pro-life policy if we consider that the standard is that life begins at conception, which I believe has historically been the case uh, among pro-lifers and certainly in the Republican Party. That's right. And this has been a little surprising to me. The one that really shot me, we were talking about it off air, is Mike Pence, who um, really promotes himself as a deeply religious, uh, convicted person, an evangelical Christian. He has said publicly he supports a federal ban at 15 weeks. That's shocked. That's extraordinary. 15 weeks. He said it in both debates, by the way. So he's on record. His theory is, well, we've since the Dobbs case, since the ruling there, which, of course, allows states, returns the issue to the states, allows the states then to determine how they want to handle the issue of abortion, many of the blue states have been expanding access to abortion and implementing all kinds of other rules that provide protections even for health care workers in a, in a botched abortion if they don't treat the baby to try to keep the baby alive, which is insane. Health care workers stand by and watch the baby die, and, they're, and they're, um, they do that with impunity. They're not charged with anything in that case. So we got states putting that those laws on the books. We've got uh, Ron DeSantis, who signed off on a six-week ban in the state of Florida after the Dobbs case. He's now kind of moderated a bit on that of late, by the way. Donald Trump, uh, as soon as that was passed, said that was too harsh. Donald Trump says, quote, we're going to get something done on abortion and everybody's going to like it. So the, the point I'm making is uh, that we don't seem to have a strict pro-life candidate and you know this in the state of Mississippi, that appears on every Republican's bingo card, right? Absolutely. It's pro-life. Absolutely. Pro-life, pro-Second Amendment. Every Republican is, in the state of Mississippi is nominally pro-life. It's a, it's a question of what they actually do with it. And, and I'll tell you, George, I think you're, I don't disagree with the facts that you're describing, but disagree with those candidates on their position. I mean, I, life begins at conception. We should not allow people to kill uh, unborn children at any point. Now, we live in a country of 300 million people. We're, we're going to have, through the legislative process, a compromise. And I certainly agree that a 15-week ban is better than these third-trimester uh, permissive regimes that you have in liberal states. But 
but where the where the liberals get us, I mean, they're they're moving the culture while we sit on the side and watch. We make a grave mistake, I think, when we start with, well, it ought to be a fifteen week ban. Yeah, because the the, the Democrats are going to come back and go, well, up until it breathes its first breath, it's abortable. So let's meet in the middle. I think we have to have people uh, – I wish we had all of those candidates advocating for a more pro-life position. And I do think there's a nuanced way to say my personal view is life begins at conception and deserves protection. But we have a legislative process in the, pro, in the post-Roe era, and we'll work together to come up with the, the prohibitions that the broadest coalition support. But the bigger thing on the pro-life side, and this is the reason it's disheartening to hear people like Pence take that position – you know, I want to live in an America where abortion doesn't happen, where abortion is recognized globally as uh, a true evil that shouldn't occur absent uh, a direct threat to the life of the mother. And that's not going to happen just through sloganeering. That's going to happen by changing the hearts and minds of people all across this country. But you are not going to change the hearts and minds unless you have the most prominent members of the conservative movement. And the people who are up on that stage are some of the most prominent members of the conservative movement. Uh, Unless you have those people making a case for life, then you're just going to continue to see the culture shift to be more and more permissive, more and more supportive of killing the unborn. And I, I think that is an awful moral failure of the right. Yeah, I totally agree. So you see the headline right there. Absolutely. He's calling for all, is Mike Pence, all GOP candidates, all Republican candidates for for president to back a federal 15-week abortion ban. I'm not offended by saying I think this is the best we can do. Yeah. But I am offended at the notion that that should be our our starting point in in negotiations or sort of our principle on the right right position is well i know uh rfk jr is uh is has gotten a lot of looks from republicans and democrats alike i mean right now i think he's still uh running as a democrat but he's certainly teasing he's going independent i think he will ultimately uh but he he supports 12 weeks it's what he supports interesting so and donald trump says we're going to get something done and everybody's going to like it and that the six-week ban in in florida is too harsh and he's the the front runner of the Republican field. Well, and there's look. I don't think anybody. I, I don't think anybody believes or shouldn't believe Donald Trump is a is a social conservative. Now, I think he has done great work in support of the social conservative movement. I think the justices he appointed to the Supreme Court uh, should give him an awful lot of credit for the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe. Uh, but I don't think you know. I don't think notionally behind closed doors, if you asked him what he thought about abortion, he would be a, a true uh, conservative on the issue. And so I think that's starting to come out now. And I think he's already sort of pivoting to the to the general. But we, we have to, if we're going to eliminate abortion in this country and in the world, we have to have a discussion about why morally abortion is wrong. Yeah. And when we start conceding that, well, maybe it is something that people sometimes need for this reason or the other, we've already lost the argument at that point. We're just kowtowing to the political winds, in my view, when we're doing that. Absolutely. Instead of standing on principle. So something else before you go I want to share with you. A poll found that 32, this is a mayor's poll run last week, a poll found that 32% of Americans want Trump to be president. Again, even if he is convicted of a crime, 67% of Republicans are okay with Donald Trump being president, even if he's convicted of a crime. Look, I don't think Donald Trump is the the best candidate for the Republican Party, because I don't think he's the candidate who's most likely to win in the election last year. But you simply cannot argue with the fact that virtually everyone's life 
was better when Donald Trump was president. Yeah, you don't. You didn't have nearly as many people who were filling up just putting just enough gas in their car to get to where they had to go for the next few days because they couldn't afford to fill it up. You didn't have people who were worried about whether they could pay groceries in nearly the volume you do now. You've yeah. got uh, people are suffering. It's a direct result of Joe Biden's policies. Yep. And so I think it's understandable that that many people would prefer Donald Trump to be president. I think you're right. Um, people just they, they long for the day. <laughs> way to put it i think uh that's what they're looking for so i don't know man it's going to be interesting to watch it play out uh i'm sure we'll be talking about it some more but lucian we appreciate you joining us always good to talk to you great to be with you yeah man gonna have a great tournament we're coming right back with philip carpenter with century club charity stay with us we're at the sanderson farms championship at the country club of jackson anytime she goes away Time she goes away. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. back everyone it's middays we're live from the country club of jackson for the sanderson farms championship we welcome to the program now philip carpenter philip is the president of century club charities philip always good to see you sir great tournament yeah thanks for having us you bet glad to be here thank you so uh, we were talking with steve gent earlier about just how critical and important the pga tour is to charitable uh, organizations or charities, I should say, and uh, Century Club Charities does a great job for so many great causes in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, we we try hard. Um, our our uh, mission is to raise money for charity through this event. This is the only thing we do all year long. It's kind of like a circus coming to town because you start working on it as soon as they fold the tents, and then about two minutes, two two months before next year's event. All the tents show up again, and we have one week of the tournament, and then take them down. So it's, but it's fun, and uh, it's it's very rewarding to to raise money like this. Children's Hospital of Mississippi uh, at the, the medical center is one of the big recipients. That's our signature charity, yeah. And then we have about sixty other charities that we donate money to annually. Wow, twenty three million. The championship is raised. For um, children's hospitals, my understanding. Uh, I don't know about that number. I, the number I know of, since Sanderson got involved in 2013, yep, we've raised approximately 16 million. Okay. So, in the last 10 years, we've raised about 16 million. Hopefully, we can raise another million or so this year and keep on keeping on. Uh, that's a that's a big number, uh, and the and the tour is is committed uh, to causes like that. I mean, it's a big feature of the tour as it as it travels around uh, the country, is uh, raising money for charities. And and here it's Century Club Charities is right. affiliated with the tour in that regard, and that money gets distributed to that's raised to to so many charities, some sixty. Is that right? Yes. That, that receive money. Yes. From the uh, from the proceeds, that is fantastic. And and the tour. 
is committed to that. Of course, uh, the local communities are, play a big part in that, and they uh, their sponsorships and and uh, all the money they spend just to enjoy the tournament and knowing that a piece of that is going to these charities is a big deal. Yeah, we could not do it without our sponsors, and Wayne Sanderson Farms has been absolutely great. Yeah, they're they're fantastic, and of course, all the folks that buy all these these suites and these tents and these boxes around here they spend a lot of money on merchandise as well. Of course, they buy tickets and and uh, concessions and just a a, a lot of uh, economic impact, and a big chunk of that goes to these charities, and that's a big shot in the arm uh, to these causes in the state of Mississippi. So desperately needed. Yeah, we've uh, had people look at it and analyze it. The local economy. Receives about thirty to forty million dollars annually from wow. this tournament. The state of Mississippi alone uh, gets about four hundred grand from income taxes <laughs> that these uh, players come and and have to pay. That's right. They have to pay back the on state. their winnings. On their winnings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If they win it here, they got to pay it here. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know it's four hundred grand. Yeah, oh, that's but a, that makes sense. Though. It's at least when you think about the purse. Yeah, yeah it's at least four hundred grand. It goes right into the pockets of the state of Mississippi. That's unbelievable. You were telling me offline, Philip, that the players love this course. They love this tournament. We get so many compliments. Um, we're we're not obviously Pebble Beach or Augusta, but we get compared by the players. They volunteer to say that our greens are better than the greens at Augusta, better than the greens at Pebble wow, Beach. Wow, that's amazing. They love the hospitality. Um, and, and this is a place, Gerard, where some of the big names play here uh, before they're the big names. Yeah. Scotty Scheffler was here a few years ago. Uh, Justin Thomas was here back in 2015. Max Homa. Um, but we got some great guys playing out here this week. I'm, I'm excited about Sam Bennett. He was uh, made a really good showing as an amateur at Augusta this year. Uh, we've got um, Ludwig Aberg, yep. who played on the the rider the European Rider Cup team. He's here. He had to sprint to get here from Rome. <laughs> That's right, because they played there last week. Yeah, the Rider Cup. Yeah. Um, you know, when you when you look at uh, the players that come in here, some of them have uh, not won a tournament. They're looking to win one and really uh, increase their their stock and their fame on the course, uh, on the tour. One of the things I think, Philip, that happened uh, several years ago is when this event, the PGA event in Mississippi, got its own date. It wasn't competing with the Masters as it used to do down in Hattiesburg a right. long time ago. You know that. And I want to say it was maybe the British Open at some yes. point that um, it was opposite. China, and, right, yeah. and and so we didn't necessarily uh, attract some of the top names, but since it's had its own date, that's made it e- an even bigger, better draw. No question. Moving moving the tournament. If you remember uh, when it was at Annandale, it was back in July. Yep, hot as yep. all get out. Uh, Thunderstorms. We- <laughs> weather was bad. October is the perfect best, best month to play golf in Mississippi. And uh, getting an unencumbered weekend was crucial. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Philip, uh, appreciate you coming on, and thanks for all the great work that Century Club Charities does. I uh, really appreciate that. It makes a meaningful impact on the state of Mississippi. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Gerard. And everybody come out. I'm going to take credit for the weather. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't hear anybody else taking it, so I'll take it. <laughs> there you go. Glad to have you. Thank you. Yes, sir. We're at the Sanderson Farms Championship. We're at the Country Club of Jackson. That's where they're playing it. Coming right back with more. Stay with us.
Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour three of middays. It's the afternoon portion. We're live today at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship on this Friday, y'all. <laughs> we are there. Uh, let's see here. We had some uh, text come in on the C Spire text line. So, uh, Brian and Madison says, why not let women figure out what abortion laws are? Well, I guess I would say to that, Brian, that assumes that the child is not worthy of protection by society, that the, that the mother or women, I should say, only women, a part of society, should weigh in on that issue. I don't know that, that uh, I could be down for that. I mean, it's a, what a slippery slope that would be. Uh, that's, that would, I say, is more of a pro-choice um, position. And I think that would be a slippery slope when we start making laws based on the views and the, the, um, the support, the whims even, of just a segment of society. I think that would be incredibly uh, dangerous. So, uh, by the way, I missed uh, called the Beatles tune a minute ago, got in a bit of a hurry. It was Day Tripper. <laughs> Not ticket to ride. Same same genre, same band, same era. But I apologize for that. Jim and Hernando pointed that out. Yep, you're right, Jim. Absolutely. Got it wrong. Uh, Ricky in Aberdeen says, where am I? Uh, the, oh, yeah, at the pavilion at Ole Miss. There you go. Appreciate that, Ricky, sending that photo in. The Payne family interest. That's the Sandy and John Black Pavilion. I know Sandy and John uh, pretty well. They live out at Annadale, actually. Um, Mr. Black's father used to be a buyer at McRae's, and it's day when my father used to sell clothes to him. He was a uh, manufacturer's rep in those days. We appreciate that, and we very much appreciate Sandy and John Black. They're fantastic people for their contributions uh, to my ma- alma mater, Ole Miss there, and gave a fair amount of money there to um, to Ole Miss and got the pavilion named for them, and, and well, they should. Totally appropriate. Well, let's see what else we got here on the ceasefire text line. Thomas in Greenwood says, what about Trump is conservative? I'm at a loss. Thomas, anytime you mention the word conservative, honestly, buddy, I don't exactly know what you mean. I don't. Um, I don't. I don't really know your definition of it. I, I mean, the best I could tell you want no government and unlimited access to all weapons, including nuclear nuclear bombs. I don't really know. Um, I'm confused about how you define conservative, and that's one of the problems, isn't it, folks? Is that there's no consensus? Absolutely no consensus. I think uh, a lot of folks listening would probably say, yeah, uh, being pro-life means being conservative. And I pointed out that we don't have a single Republican candidate for president that is pro-life from the standpoint, from the standard that life begins at at, uh, conception. 
doesn't that uh, doesn't exist among the Republican candidates. Donald Trump, the front runner, says that he's going to get something done and everybody's going to be happy about it. Yet he will probably carry Mississippi uh, in the primary, and that's that's a bit. Uh, puzzling given that the vast majority of Mississippi Republicans are staunchly pro-life, but yet they're supporting a candidate who's not. And I know a lot of Mississippi voters who would say that's a deal killer for me that the candidate I support, it is essential. It is uh, an essential part of their platform must be that they are pro-life, yet they're able to to ignore this or they're willing to ignore that uh, that criteria, that standard and still support a candidate who's really not. Interesting. Thomas says he talks a big game, but his record shows he's pretty liberal. What do you mean by that exactly, Thomas? Specifically what? And again, I I don't know what your standard is of conservatism. I, I stay confused about that, honestly. And I think, again, I point out that there is no consensus for it anymore. Really isn't. Um. Speaking of this abortion issue, <laughs> there's a, a school in California, uh, pardon me, New York, where a professor recently took uh, a class to confront students at a pro-life table. This is a professor, get this one, Rhino, this, this is a professor of women, gender, and sexuality studies. What is that? Why do we need a course in women, gender, and sexuality? What what good is that to preparing one for a job once they graduate from college? This is crazy. So this professor, Dara Silberstein, took his students from that class um, in her activism, feminism, and social justice course. Okay, so the course is activism, feminism, and social justice. I guess the, the complement of studies um, focuses on women, gender, and sexuality. So there are multiple courses, one of which is activism, feminism, and social justice. So they, they went to this uh, pro-life event. Um, they were told they're anti-choice. They don't call them pro-life. They call them anti-choice. They're anti-choice folks nearby. We got to go crash the party there. And I will say the professor established some ground rules telling them to respect the tablers' rights to free speech and that no violence or yelling would be permitted. But these these uh, um, activists still went over and started the familiar chant, hey, hey, ho, ho, anti-choice has got to go. And, of course, I'm looking at photos of the table, which included images of fetuses and small children with the phrase, I am a person, and, quote, abortion kills human persons. Uh, The posters also included the words suctioning and poisoning, because that's how the abortion procedure is typically performed. And what's really crazy is that some of the students that were triggered by these images of children and fetuses, they dropped model fetuses into their mouths. Literally, they were symbolizing 
eating babies. These people are nuts. These people are crazy. This was in New York, an abortion activist eating baby models. What the heck is this all about? Unbelievable. And these same people uh, also probably think that cooking lobster is inhumane. That's probably right. <laughs> well, you brought up something that uh, just reminded me of a post from my old good friend Robert Rice. He says, why is meat so expensive? Could it be corporate price fixing? And one of the liberals commented on the post, plant-based meat is on the rise. I have no doubt with technological innovation that in 10 years there won't be a cow or chicken or pig that will have to die so people can eat. <laughs> these nuts, fathom this, people. These crazy these crazy climate activists uh, and animal wackos, they respect more a pig than they do a human. They're all for abortion, right, up until the point of birth, nine months. Even allowing physicians, as I talked about uh, a moment ago, uh, one of the states is, is engaged in passing law that would protect a physician or a healthcare worker in general for failing to treat a baby in a botched abortion that has been born and could live with treatment, medical care and treatment. But if they don't do that because they were involved in an abortion, they're not charged with anything, and they can't be found guilty of any crime. They're going to protect them. These people are all for that, but let's don't kill a pig to eat. That's insane. But that's how crazy stuff is. Josh from Laurel says, Gerard, if Trump isn't the Republican candidate next year, who will it be? Man, I really don't know. It's a great question, and at this point, I hesitate to even guess. that The rest of the field is so jumbled up there in terms of of where they stand as, as in the polls. Don't know. Is Pence not totally pro-life? He is not. He is calling for a 15-week federal ban. 15 weeks. 15-week federal ban. His theory is, if I can get a 15-week ban at the federal level, in the wake of the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe, which allows states now to to uh, call their own shots on abortion, Pence says, then I can I can rein in the liberal, the deep blue states, which have expanded access to abortion in the wake of Dobbs dramatically. He thinks 15 weeks would rein them in. So yeah, he's totally. Now, for a 15-week ban, he is not 100% pro-life. We're stepping aside for a break right here. We've got Dr. Mary Taylor joining us at 1235, the chair of the pediatrics at University of Mississippi Medical Center. Stay with us. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. in the news can sip to be square looking at the leaderboard out here at the sanderson farms championship 
which is being played at the Country Club of Jackson. Carl Juan, Yuan, I believe is the correct pronunciation, is 13 under through 12. Good grief, he's on fire. He is 7 under today. So he's birdied 7 holes today and parred 5. That is blazing. He shot uh, 6 under uh, 66 yesterday in round 1. So he is sits atop the leaderboard. We're going to try to get uh, Chesson Hadley on the program later on. Uh, he is presently playing number 18. He sits in the position of tied for second. Three players do at 12 under right now. He was the leader after the first round yesterday, shooting a 64, eight under, which is incredible. Uh, that is a game with which I am not familiar, uh, for sure, <laughs> shooting eight under and then six under today. Really incredible. Uh, a little bit more from the world of Awoke. This from our neighbor to the north, Canada. You see, Canadian scholars are seeking fat people (laughs) for taking up space research. This is crazy. This is a research grant. It's for those who live their resistance in the outdoors by taking up space. The research team wants a doctoral student who identifies as BIPOC, non-gender conforming, LGBTQ+, fat, and or disabled. But the preference is for, I don't know what this means, First Nations, Metis, or Inuit. What the heck's that? I-N-U-I-T? Inuit applicants. Eskimo. Oh, thank you. Uh, Radical, (laughs) the scholars wrote this in the job description. Uh, racialized people, not radicalized, racialized people, women, the LGBTQ plus community, disabled people, and those who identify as fat have all created grassroots programs to support each other in a constellation of resistance against what outdoor culture has historically been, white, able-bodied, heterosexual male. This project seeks to uplift and amplify these structures of resistance by learning from and with the very people who are doing what their ancestors could not do. What in the world? Unbelievable. So I'm looking, Rhino, at the sign, the flyer. Um, it's it's uh, being posted around campus with a QR code, of course, so you can scan it and go straight to the application. But the uh, the title of the flyer, Funded Ph.D. Opportunity, and then the bullet points, Love the Outdoors, Identify as BIPOC, Fat, Disabled, Queer, and or Non-Binary. Is it just me? Or do these woke DEI people appear to be the most exclusive on the planet? Do they not get that? They're more into excluding than they are including. That's the whole point of intersectionality. You've got to figure out how everybody's different and how it all intersects so that we can all get in our feelings. (laughs) Just incredible. I can't imagine putting that out. On a poster. I mean, imagine if the poster said what they totally loathe, that you had to be white, heterosexual male. It'd be the national news. They'd be stringing them up in the square, hanging from a tree somewhere. That's how upside down all this crap is. Derek in 
Greenwood says, I am a white, able-bodied male. I identify as skinny because I am fat. <laughs> On the C Spire text line, Dan in Hattiesburg, I could see him being part of the Montana militia. He's talking about our good friend Thomas and Greenwood. Uh, so uh, Dan says, you know, Montana is a state that's considered fairly conservative, or Idaho. They are. I agree. I've seen reports that suggest that Wyoming is the most conservative. But I'd say, again, what's the criteria for measuring conservatism? And I think a lot of people in the state of Mississippi, for sure, who identify as conservatives, would also tell you that they're big supporters of Donald Trump because he's a conservative. And then you start trying to peel back the layers there on what makes Donald Trump conservative. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, anything is conservative, right? Anything, anybody compared to what we got in charge in Joe Biden and, and Chuck Schumer and, and all the Democrats, certainly in Washington. Uh, some more radical than others, for sure. Uh, so that makes almost anybody that opposes them appear conservative. Uh, something that also should be pointed out uh, from an economic perspective, because I do think that this election, uh, the federal election, the presidential election, and the, and the federal elections next year for Senate and House, they're all about kitchen table issues. I totally believe that. Kitchen table issues. Now, I've been talking about some crazy cultural stuff going on, and as Lucian and I discussed earlier, no doubt, those are big. Those are crazy. And um, and they need to be addressed. But we got to get in power to address them. That's the point. And most of that, by the way, occurs at the state and local level. And I think the state's done a pretty good job uh, in that respect. And I've heard the governor talk about pushing even more. I've heard, I've heard folks running for uh, Senate and House in the state of Mississippi. We've got to continue the pro- on the progress made on some of these cultural matters, primarily uh, addressing this, this issue of transgenderism, which, which we've already uh, prohibited males from competing in female sports but we had we didn't go so far as to restrict bathrooms and locker rooms uh, based on uh, biological gender we still got work to do there we got work to do in in just defining what a woman is because uh, i think the governor i shared this the other day the governor said at an event i attended that the word woman appears about 130 times in state statute and therefore there are laws that apply or certainly consider the, the gender, the sex of a person in their writing. So we need to define what a woman is because people are sort of commandeering and hijacking the word and interpreting it to be whatever they want. You just get folks that, that uh, become apoplectic at the suggestion that only females can, can bear more humans, can get pregnant and have a baby. They go nuts on you on that. It's crazy. So... Steve on the road on the ceasefire text line says, "I identify as a Romulan." <laughs> Wasn't that uh, one of the one of the from Star Trek, right? One of the space oh, yeah. adversaries in Star Trek. Well, sure, that works for me, Steve. Uh, it really totally is crazy, but we got to get power, uh, in my view. Meaning, we've got to get the the House, the Senate, and the White House, and of course here here at home in Mississippi, uh, continue to retain our Republican majorities to make meaningful 
um, and positive, impactful change, but at the federal level, which is where we are feeling the most pain because it's federal policy that affects your pocketbook. And every single poll we see out there these days says, yep, the economy and um, issues concerning the economy, inflation, price of gas, um, especially the price of food, everything else you buy, the kitchen table issues, those top the list. That is what people care about the most. And poll after poll after poll, it laps. It, it exceeds all the other issues combined. So let's focus on that and get elected. And then we'll have the power to address all these crazy cultural issues that are sweeping our country and turning it upside down. That's how we get uh, those issues addressed and hopefully put to bed is by getting into office. And that means we got to focus on these financial, economic, kitchen table issues. That's what we need to hear. And I'm not happy about the fact that at the last debate we just didn't see enough focus on that. I want to see somebody proclaim, declare free market capitalism is the economic system that is going to continue to be in place in this country. And we're going to fight back against any attempt to transition this country to a socialist wasteland like Venezuela, which is why so many people from from Venezuela are seeking entry into this country, coming up here on trains to escape the plight and the oppression of the Venezuelan socialism that has taken hold in the beleaguered nation in the south in South America. That's what we gotta focus on. Let's get that on the platform, top, front, center, focus on that all the time. Get elected. Then we're gonna go after these loons that don't think that there are only two genders. They think there's like fifty eight. That's crazy. They don't want parents to be in charge of the well-being of their children. They want to give them sanctuary and protect them from the evils of their parents because they want to change their dang sex. It's ridiculous. Coming right back with Dr. Mary Taylor, the chair of pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are live from the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship today. We welcome to the program Dr. Mary Taylor, Chair of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Taylor, thanks for coming on. Thank you. 
Glad to be here. Yeah, so this is a big deal for the University of Mississippi Medical Center, the, the uh, Children's Hospital in particular, because uh, Century Club Charities raises a bunch of money right. for them. That's right. Every year, Century Club Charities and the Sanderson Farm Tournament raises anywhere from a million to a million and a half dollars for Children's of Mississippi, You know, among other things that they give um, other charitable organizations. Yeah. But we're kind of their primary charitable um aspect of the tournament and actually several times this tournament has won the charity integration award from the pga oh wow for their connection to the children's hospital all along the course there's big banners with the children's picture you know some of our patients and that type of thing we have a lot of volunteers out here as well share with the audience dr taylor a a bit of history Uh, i i seem to remember being at the groundbreaking. Yes. So the groundbreaking um, was in 2017. Okay. And we moved into the new expansion of the Children's Hospital in 2020. So the Batson Tower was built in 1998. And that's what the, I was at. That's where you probably yeah. were. Um, this expansion is actually the Sanderson Tower. Okay. Um, um, Joe Sanderson contributed a great deal to that and kind of was an inspiration for us raising the funds and yeah. engaging this tournament to start with. Um, this is the only children's hospital in the state of mississippi we have one children's hospital and we serve the entire state not just the jackson area Um, we have about 20 different subspecialties taking care of children with special kinds of conditions any hospitalized child around the state is referred to us for any kind of complex thing Um, so we have a very very busy hospital very busy neonatal intensive care unit and intensive care unit Um, great teams of people that take care of children every day so 1998, it, it makes me think, what did we do before then? Well, in, before then, there was a small children's hospital in what's called the Round Tower at, at University yep. of Mississippi. Um, and it is quite an old building that now just has some offices and that type of thing in it. In 1998... Um, the Blair E. Batson Children's Hospital was built. Um, we still use that hospital, and currently we're renovating that hospital okay. to match the um, match the appearance of the Sanderson Tower. So the patient experience will be the same okay. when they come to the new part and then go to the older part of our hospital. Um, that part of the hospital services are inpatient, so children who not necessarily needing intensive care but just general hospital beds and our emergency room and then in the sanderson tower we have a state-of-the-art imaging center we have a mri that looks like a pirate ship for example and we have a sand castle that's a ct scanner (laughs) so children have a lot of special services just for them um, and we can provide care without needing sedation and that type of thing so it's very state-of-the-art facility a few years ago i had the privilege of receiving a personally guided tour mm-hmm. from Dr. Keaton. Oh, that's great! And uh, I was I was blown away, and and that included uh, a walk through the NICU. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty it, impressive. It it forever that the images of that forever are emblazoned in my brain. The first thing I noticed was there are a whole lot of people that are mm-hmm. taking care of sick babies that's in that right. in that area, and they are so positive and so passionate and i guess you have to be and i'm like sad because i'm seeing these these little babies that um you don't feel like they shouldn't be here you know but they they do but what a fantastic job they do yeah we have 
fantastic nurses, respiratory therapists, physicians, trainees, and everyone there takes care of children like it's their child. And that's really our focus, to take care of children like we would want our own family members taken care of. Sure. Um, the NICU that we moved from, we still have a few babies there, but it was a very, very crowded facility, very little room for families. And in the new Sanderson Tower that was built largely based on this championship and the donations from Century Club Charities, um, has individual patient rooms, a bathroom, and a shower in every room. So parents can be there with their baby, be engaged in helping take care of their baby, and learn about how to care for them. So it's really a, a huge step forward thanks to this t- championship tournament. It's a blessing, mm-hmm. indeed. Huge blessing. It's a huge blessing, and uh, they do fantastic work. I know that. So one of my longtime golf partners, uh, you may know, uh, Dr. Paul Parker. Oh, yeah. Uh, awesome. Pediatric GI. What a highly specialized field that is. That's right. We have about 20 different subspecialties. So basically everything you can think of that an adult would see, we have for children. Okay. And including surgical subspecialties, even ophthalmologists, dermatologists, orthopedists that are specific for children. Um, Dr. Parker, actually there's... um, given in his honor a Paul Parker Chair of Pediatric Gastroenterology. Um, We have just outstanding providers and nurse practitioners, nurses, all the people just dedicated to children. So, um, you know, if if your child has something, we want them to be able to be taken care of here in Mississippi and not have to travel somewhere else to get that care. And so our goal over the last several years was really to build that. Okay. The Mannings have been uh, integral contributors mm-hmm. as well, have they not? Yes. Eli Manning, um, we actually have an Eli Manning clinic. Yeah. So it's a clinic area within our hospital that sees some of our subspecialty patients. Um, Eli and his wife, Abby, were on our steering committee for raising the funds for the Children's Hospital expansion. Um, they are very, very close to our hospital. They, uh, you know, kind of help engage other people in our community all the time they actually did a presentation recently for a foundation you know for a center that we just started for hand surgery um he is just really really um connected as as is really his whole whole family archie and olivia as well that's awesome yeah because i I remember seeing uh i guess lots of uh hanging photos and so (laughs) forth uh around the hospital itself uh but the you can tell that it's it's all been tailored and themed, as you indicated, with the the MRI that looks like a pirate ship and so forth, uh, to really tr- just try to ease the burden yes. of uh, of a very trying situation when uh, parents and a child are, are dealing with a sick child. That's right. We have specialists there. There are people called child life specialists, and so we have seven child life specialists. They um, help understand explain to a child what's what they're going through explain to the siblings help them get through procedures you know explain what's going to happen you know be there with them and that makes a huge difference little things like that make a huge difference we have uh, a school system where we have teachers and so if a child is in the hospital for more than a couple of weeks they help them keep engaged with their schoolwork when they can um but really, the whole facility is built around helping parents and families and to patients themselves feel comfortable in that setting and get the best care possible. Yeah. Um, we compare ourselves to every hospital in the country. We don't want to just be okay. We want to be the best. We want to be the best in this region, and we really we really are. And that's something that uh, Dr. Woodward uh, focuses mm-hmm. on a lot, too. That's doesn't right. She, she yeah, pays attention really, to the other hospitals and consumes right. that information. That's and, right. When we built the expansion, we actually toured three or four different hospitals around the country to kind of 
pick and choose what they did well and what we, yeah. you know, what didn't work sure. and, and build the best hospital that we could. Um, we really focus on quality. Not a single day goes by that we don't talk about our quality and being the very best and making improvements when we need to. Um, so, you know, I really think that I've worked in several children's hospitals and this is really the best one I've ever worked in. That's awesome to hear. So yeah, I've, I've heard nothing but positive feedback as well from, yeah. from friends and folks that I know that have had to deal with that. So one of the things that has impressed me about uh, Dr. Uh, Edney, Dan mm-hmm. Edney, that yeah. runs the Department of Health, is that b- besides all the, the policy and the economic and the financial issues of health care, something I talk about a lot on the program, mm-hmm. he is he's big-time passionate about improving the health, health. of Mississippians. Mm-hmm. That's right. And when we're, we're dealing often with, with children, I know a lot of times, s- sometimes they end up in the, in the NICU or have other issues just as a result of, of maybe not complying with good right. health practices during the gestation period. That's right. We have the highest prematurity rate in the country. And, you know, sometimes it's access to health care, access to prenatal care, that type of thing. So our emphasis is on improving the health of Mississippians. Dr. Woodward talks about that every day. Um, And we try to do the same, you know, once the babies are born, we spend a lot of time with education, education of the families, trying to stop that cycle of, of um, poor access to care, improve yeah. the access to care where we can. Um, we actually have outreach locations in seven different places in little t- in towns all around the state of Mississippi. Yeah. So someone could have surgery here, for example, at our children's hospital and follow up in Tupelo or follow okay. up in Meridian, for okay. example, at one of our clinics there. So that helps people with the access so that they can really stay engaged with their doctor and make sure that they get good good follow-up. Well, the fact is, and, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but we would all be better off mm-hmm. if, if folks would just take a little better care of themselves. Yeah, there's a lot of health maintenance things that we need to work on. I mean, it's so multifactorial why babies are born early and that type of thing. But um, we really try to focus on the education. I think we need to kind of start at that level, of the education of parents and families. Um, we have services for children that kind of can hopefully help break some of the cycles we have an obesity clinic for example yeah um, for children and teenagers yeah. <clears throat> and so that that really helps get education going and engaging the whole family in their care dr taylor appreciate you coming on and giving us an update on that Thank and you. uh let's let's shout out to the sanderson farms yes. championship and century club charities yes. for all the great work they do well to, we wouldn't uh, be here without them that's so that's we, good to we know really well love great event Appreciate you coming on. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, we're stepping aside for a break. I think we may have one of the PGA Tour players coming on with us next. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well studio at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship. Hey, guys. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We are live in the Element Well studio, which has been relocated today to 
the veranda just behind the pro shop here at the Country Club of Jackson. We're here for the Sanderson Farms Championship, and we are pleased to welcome to the program uh, PGA, PGA Tour professional Chesson Hadley. Just got through putting on 18, Chesson. Yeah. <laughs> I missed that putt, but I'll be all right. You missed it? I did miss it. For a birdie? It was for a par. It was for a par. Okay. So I'm, I'm just looking. I didn't look at your scores by hole. You shot a 69 today. I played, I played nicely. Um, I played really well yesterday, and I followed it up with another sol- solid round today. I didn't, uh, I didn't drive the ball particularly well today, so after we uh, get done, I'm going go, to I'm, I'm go shore up the driver a little bit. Eight under yesterday. It was a fantastic round. So 11 under uh, through day two. Yes, sir. At this point. So you're presently tied. No, actually, you're now in fourth, just looking at the leaderboard. Two tied for second, so essentially third. But uh, top of the leaderboard, Carl Yuan at 13 under. You're just two shots out. Yeah. So it's nothing. Plenty of golf left, Gerard. Yeah. Come yeah. On. I, I get it. I'm with you, man. All right, so what is your favorite <laughs> Journey song? I mean, have I don't know this, but I'm sure everybody else knows this. No, you know, I don't know if they do or not. Um, believe it or not, Send Her My Love is my favorite Journey tune. And okay. I, um, I would say Faithfully is number two and who's crying now is number three and uh you know I, i'm a bit nostalgic i guess of, uh, for that era but send her my love i think the main thing that attracts me to that is the video if you ever get a chance and go watch the youtube video of that song when they played at veteran stadium in front of eighty five thousand in 1983 okay in better stadium in philadelphia and it's just a fantastic video back when that they did that sort of stuff but nonetheless yeah but we're here to talk about your golf, man. So now you know. Don't you want to teaser. know what my favorite Journey song is? I do, actually. I just teed it up. Okay, I'm sorry. That's on me, man. What am I doing here? I'm, I'm, a, I'm in a bit of a separate ways. Uh, uh, well, that's the, that's how we start the show. Uh, yeah. Separate like, ways I'm, starts the show I'm every day. a little day. bit into that. I've always liked Wheel in the Sky. Awesome. We play likes, that one, too. Everybody likes Don't Stop Believing song. Yeah, you're right. I'm I'm kind of in a separate ways phase right now all right little so. trivia so i know all this trivia about journey because okay. i'm a big fan i've seen them five times going again they're coming to, to biloxi starting oh, cool. their 2024 tour in biloxi mississippi all in right. February. all right so do you know where separate ways was recorded the video back in the old uh mtv day oh, i have no idea new orleans all right. Uh, if you go watch the video and watch to see the wharf there, that is on New Orleans, on the Mississippi River. And uh, the attractive lady that's featured in uh, the video is a New Orleanian. How about that? Small world. I know. I mean, More amazing. trivia than you wanted to Love know. that. <laughs> but <laughs> now I'm an even yes, bigger fan because you love separate ways. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm a, I, love, I love 80s rock. They don't it make that good. music anymore, they don't. do they? It's... It's just different, right? I mean, I I don't feel like they're bands anymore, and maybe <laughs> right maybe there are. I just music. don't I just don't listen to it. But and this before all the auto tune stuff. They like this is their real voice singing yeah. here, you know, yeah. not computers. And who's it. their new? I mean, obviously Steve Arnell Panetta. Okay, Steve he Perry, is, greatest is, vocalist of all time. I agree. It, but the resemblance in their voices, unbelievable, is isn't it? just silly. I mean. Uh, that's amazing that they found them. So it's great, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing them in February. Uh, the only I'm only disappointed because I'm in row three. I'm usually in row one, right in the middle. I'm going to find out whoever the heck's got those tickets in row one. But I'm in row three, right in the middle. I'm kind of upset about that. Shucks. <laughs> Shucks. <laughs> I'm working on backstage passes. Okay, there That's you what go. I'm working there on. That's go. my dream is to have my photo made with the boys in the band there. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so you got to feel good about going in tomorrow. You're going to work out the kinks in your driver, and tomorrow uh, you may fire another eight under. 
I would like that. Yeah, my game feels good. It's been feeling. If it's been feeling, you know, and like it's been in good shape for some for some time now. And you know, yesterday was a great uh, great way to start the tournament. Um, I just played beautifully, tee to green. Everything just kind of. I just felt yeah. comfortable all day. And um, you know, it was a little bit slow to get going today, but uh, I made a birdie and then kind of. I, I made bogey on number ten. And that was kind of kicking the pants. I needed it to get going. And I played three under from there on in. Wow. So. Wow. So yeah, game feels good, and we're in good shape for the weekend. You like the course? I do. I've always loved this place. I I feel like it's a it's a bit of a hidden gem, and it's not talked about as much as it should be because it's it is a treat. They it's, do a great job here. The greens are absolutely incredible. Um, they're maybe the fastest on tour. They are just light. Well, what do you fast. think? Twelve, thirteen today? I, yeah, I would definitely say thirteen. So I, that's that's masters like. I, I I have unfortunately I haven't played there, but I would think it can't be too far off. Ben Crenshaw said in preparation for the Masters, and and he may be the best putter of all time. Said he put in the bathtub. <laughs> he wasn't wrong. He's not wrong. You Thirteen. Can, that's incredible. I, I'm glad to hear I, that. It certainly feels how fast they are. But uh, you know, you got to put the ball in the fairway here, just because this Bermuda rough is. It comes out hot and it lands on the green and will roll over, especially with how fast they are. You can so. make pars that way. It's hard to make birdies. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You can yeah. you can manage some pars, but uh, you know, if I'm going to win this week, we're going to need to pile on some birdies. Chess, appreciate you coming on. Thank you for taking a few minutes to come talk about uh, your experience here on the tour. Enjoyed the journey conversation, but most importantly. Best of luck to you, man, Thank for the you, next Jared. two days. I hope you win it all. Appreciate it. Thanks for having yep. me on. Appreciate it. Chesson Hadley has been our guest here, PGA Tour professional, on the, right up there on the top of the leaderboard. Folks, we're out of here today. Have a good weekend. We'll be back with you on Tuesday. I'm off Monday. Stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.